0: Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. Well, we want to welcome everyone to uh, CT Church this morning. If this is the first time you've been here, we are thrilled to have you uh, joining us today. Uh, I have a message this morning that deals with tough times. How many of you have ever experienced some tough times? You know, this is a tough world in which we're living in today. There's, there's uh, hardly anything is easy anymore. Life in general is a challenge most of the time. How many of you already figured that out? You didn't need, to, need me to tell you that. Life is a challenge, isn't it? And I want to talk to you this morning about dealing with life when life gets really tough. Sometimes when people accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, ah, (laughs) the Lord shining down upon me. (laughs) Sometimes when people accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, they have this common misconception that boy, from now, from this point on, life is just going to be so smooth. All the tough times are are past us. But I have personally found And many of you might agree with me that that is not the case. In fact, sometimes when we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, sometimes the enemy seems to push forward with the attack uh, just to see if we're the real deal or if it's just lip service. Who knows what I'm talking about? Yeah, sometimes it can seem to intensify for a little while. And sometimes it gets to the point where it just almost feels like life is falling apart. And so this morning, the title of this message is Keeping It Together When It's All Falling Apart. Now, this has to do with circumstance. It almost sounds like a speech I might give at a retirement center. (laughs) 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 Because I'm I'm hitting that point, you know, in my life where things are, I'm just trying to keep things together because things are falling apart, you know, but uh, that's, that's, I'm talking physically more than anything else, but. Let me preface all of this by saying that, again, if anyone thinks they're going to have a perfect, easy life because they love and they're following Jesus, then uh, chances are good they just haven't read their Bible well, because uh, if you follow the lives of Christians for the past 2,000 years, we all have troubles. We all have storms in life. So the big question that a lot of people have today is how can I find the strength and faith to just carry on when it seems like life is crumbling around me? In the book of 1 Samuel, King David, I think, gives us a great example. There's a very It's not a real long story. King David and his army have been out fighting against the enemies of Israel, which is what they're supposed to be doing. That's a good thing, right? That's what they were instructed to do. They come back. Well, let me just read it. They come back and they find out the Amalekites have raided their hometown. They've taken all the women and children as captives and they've burned the city down. 1 Samuel 30 verses 3 through 6. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives, Ahinoam from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among those captured. David was now in great danger because all of his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters. And they began to talk of stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord. Now I tell you, there's two complete sermons that you could build out of just those three verses. The one I'm going to give you this morning, but another one that maybe we'll hit some other time. They were out doing what they were supposed to be doing, and yet crisis happened. Have you ever experienced that in life? You were doing something that was right, and you still ran into a big old storm in life. That's another sermon, but I just thought I'd throw that in for free. It can happen, okay? It happened right here. But right here in verse 3, David, right at the beginning of the verse, David shows us the very first step that we can take when tragedy or crisis hits our life. Step one is sit down and have a good cry. It's okay. I mean, verse 3, it clearly says David and his mighty men, they cried until they couldn't cry anymore. Now, some of you guys, you're thinking, well, you know, I don't know about that. I mean, is that really what I should do? Because, you know, I'm, I'm a tough guy. There's no crying with tough guys. I'll tell you, these guys, I'm going to guess, were tough as nails. And it says they cried till they cried no more. So if you think you're too tough and powerful to cry, let me bring your attention to the shortest verse in the Bible, John 11.35, Jesus wept. Surely you don't think you're tougher than Jesus could endure what he did. Even Jesus had tears of sorrow, pain. He cried. And I have to think if it's okay for God in the human flesh to cry, even though he knew the complete hope he was bringing for mankind, if it's good enough for him to cry, it's all right for us to cry. As Barney Fife would say, it's therapeutic. If you don't watch Andy Griffith, you don't even get that, but that's okay. (laughs) Somebody watches. So Jesus, in his humanity, he cried. I think sometimes we as believers can get to thinking, well, maybe we should be above that sort of thing. You know, sometimes people look at crying as a sign of weakness. And it's, You know, it is completely true that the Bible tells us that joy is going to come in the morning. But how many of you have figured out sometimes those nights can seem really, really long? In Hebrews 5-7, it says, While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. So Jesus wasn't afraid to pray with emotion. In fact, he grew up in this culture, this Jewish culture that was huge on showing emotion. You know, in the Jewish culture, when they cried, it wasn't just some little sniveling trickle down the cheek thing. No, they, I mean, they cried with wailing and mourning, and uh, the, even the men in that culture, they uh, they m- mourned when they, when they cried, along with their tears and their wailing, sometimes they would take their their outer cloak and (laughs) rip it into, you know, I mean, they were dramatic dudes. Very, very dramatic. So it's okay. Now, today, there is this really large people group in the world that have an incredibly hard time showing a lot of emotion. The most common name given to this very large people group is men. Men. Not all men. Some men are great at it. I'm just saying the bulk of us are kind of lousy at it. You know, most of us men don't want to, you know, appear to get too mushy or or emotional. uh, Unless, of course, we're screaming at the spurs through our TV screens, hoping that they can hear our expert advice, you know. Because we know what they ought to be doing. And, you know, no one's calling us to get our opinion. It's just ridiculous, right? But we scream it out anyway. Get out of the man-to-man. Go to the zone. Go to the zone. You know, just, they never do. We especially, us men, we don't like to get caught crying, do we? We don't like to get caught crying. We, you know, sometimes you watch a movie, and I don't know if you're like me, uh, you get kind of choked up, and a little tear will form in your eye, and so you got to kind of act like you're scratching your head. and you are got to get... What's the matter? Oh, nothing. A little itch here. Movies can do that to you. This Friday, we went to see Toy Story 4 with our grandkids. And I'm telling you, at the end, I got this big tear in my eye. You know, when Buzz Lightyear and, 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 and Woody, they, when, they got, when they got run over by that steamroller. Oh, it was just... No, nah, I'm just... No, they're fine. But I got a little tear in my eye, but that's all well, I'll say. We don't like to get caught crying. Now, Jesus was never uh, ashamed to show his emotions. Now, here's the problem. When we try to hide our emotions, when we try to bury it all inside, it's really like trying to kill a monster in a monster movie. We all know how that goes. It's the same every time. They think they got the monster killed, and now they feel completely at ease to just turn their back and start talking. Like idiots, right? You know? And you're thinking, don't turn your back. Don't, you don't over... Don't turn your... And they always turn their back. And what happens? The thing rises up, you know, and it gets them because they... They turned their back before the job was completely done, right? Now, somebody may be thinking, well, you know, but can't you can take this to an extreme, right? Can't you go too far with showing your emotions and just cry and cry trying to get attention? Yes. I see it happen all the time. But what I'm talking about, that's not where most people are at. Most people have a long way to go before anyone's going to accuse them of, you know, being over-emotional. Most of us like to hide it. We like to tuck it in. And when people try to deny their feelings, here's what happens. When you try to deny your feelings, it empowers your feelings to start controlling you. God is who you want controlling your life, not your feelings. You put your feelings in charge, and man, I'm telling you, you are going to be in the biggest messes you have ever been in your life, and who knows what I'm talking about. You operate on feelings, and you're going to be in trouble. There's tons of people sitting in prison today because they allowed feelings to be their guide. So, it's really when you begin to see the importance of your feelings, that's when you need to act accordingly and act properly, do the right thing, to be able to keep your feelings from running your life, but understanding why they're there. So you don't have to be afraid to express your emotions when you pray to God because he already knows how you're feeling anyway. You're not telling him anything new. So the first lesson that we get from this example of King David is don't be afraid to just have a good cry. Don't try to ignore your emotions. That's lesson one. Here's lesson two, and this creeps in pretty quickly a lot of times when we're feeling all of these Oceans of emotion, so to speak. Lesson two is don't get bitter. Verse six said David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters. They began, they were bitter to the point they began to talk of stoning him. When we face a crisis or a tragedy in life, one of the easiest things for us to do right off the bat is to get angry and then we get bitter and we start looking for someone to hang the blame on. Right? I mean, especially in this society. Nobody's guilty of anything because it's always somebody else's fault. We're always ready to hang the blame on somebody and it's easy to find somebody to hang the blame on because there's just so many imperfect people running around. Crazy people running out. He did it. He made me do it. It's never our own fault. Always ready to hang the blame on someone. But here's here's the problem with blame. When we decide we're going to start playing the blame game, got to find somebody to blame. Blame always ends up as bitterness. Blame always ends up bitterness. And bitterness does two different things it begins to control your life. And then after, the second thing, after a certain point, if it's left unchecked, it begins to destroy your life. It'll make music just randomly appear out of nowhere. <laughs> Blame will do that. It's amazing what it'll do. And here's the ironic part about finding blame in situations of crisis when a person has any amount, any level of relationship with God. It's amazing how many times people end up hanging the blame on on God. You know, I think if we're completely honest with ourselves... I would have to think most of us, if not all of us, could admit there have been times when we experienced that in our life, you know, and we hollered out, you know, God, why, why, you know, what were you thinking? How many of you other than me have had one of those, God, what were you thinking moments in life? And I will tell you this, I would be a complete fool to tell you I can answer all of those questions, why? Why? I can't explain. There's too many unexplainable things in life. There's a lot of things I don't know. I don't know why some very deserving people die and some very undeserving people who cause a lot of hurt and pain in people's lives seem to live to a hundred. I don't know why. I don't know why some people get sick and some people don't get sick. I don't know why. I don't know why some people are healed immediately and others not immediately. I don't know. I don't know why people who really have probably have no business bringing children into this world have got a dozen kids and some young couples who would be incredible parents have no kids. I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know why the word monosyllabic has five syllables. <laughs> you didn't get that? Look it up when you get home. It, it, it does not make sense. I don't know how cemeteries can keep raising their prices and they blame it on the cost of living. (laughs) I don't know what to do if I see an endangered animal eating an endangered plant. I don't know what to do. And I don't know this. I don't know if you throw a cat out of your car window. Could you be ticketed for kitty littering? Say none of the cat lovers like that. They, they. There's a lot of things I don't know. How about you? Maybe when we get to heaven, we'll get some answers, and maybe there's just a lot of stuff we don't need to know. That's probably a lot of it. But here's, here's, here's what I know. I do know that when I don't know, God knows. That much I know. God will walk with me through circumstances in life no matter how difficult they are, no matter how painful they are. And I know this. I know I have a church family that will love and care and pray for me in times of difficulty. And you need to know that you do too. All of you have that. Something else I've learned in my 60 years of trying to dodge bitterness... A lot of times, there's one key to defeating bitterness. We can try all sorts of things. We buy every book there is about. A lot of times, there's only one key to defeating bitterness. You know what that key is? Forgiveness. It's the only thing that'll work. Because it is so easy to blame someone else, something else when things go wrong in our lives, and especially if someone has really done something mean and painful to us. But here's what we have to know. Unforgiveness is the super highway to bitterness. Say it with me. Unforgiveness is the super highway to bitterness. Unforgiveness always leads to bitterness, and bitterness only hurts you. You know, someone said, uh, bitterness is a poison that we drink, hoping it'll hurt somebody else. It really doesn't make sense, right? Boy, that person, I can't stand that person, man. I'll tell you what, I'm, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to drink some poison. That'll show them. It'll show them that poison will kill you. That's what it'll show them. And they'll say, boy, I'm not going to do that. Did you see what happened to that guy? <laughs> Bitterness is a poison we drink hoping it's going to hurt someone else and it just doesn't make sense, does it? So I'm telling you, if you've been hauling around some unforgiveness, whether it's for days, months, or in some, in some cases, people haul it around for years, you have to give it to God. It's the key. Forgiveness is the only key to getting rid of that bitterness in your life. You just have to let it go. And let me say this. Forgiving someone, forgiveness, does not mean that you're now saying that what they did was right and it was just perfectly fine forgiveness means that you're just giving it over to God and you're going to let him be the judge but you're moving on you have extended forgiveness on your end you're going to move on we have to have this attitude that said you know that says God is always willing to forgive me and aren't you thankful for that I have to be willing to forgive others Is there anyone here who has ever gone to the Lord in prayer and said, God, please forgive me. And you just heard him say, well, you could forget that. I mean, you really jacked it up this time. No forgiveness for you. Come back one year. Anybody ever heard that? No. As soon as we ask for forgiveness, it's always right there, isn't it? And we're always just like that, aren't we? I'll move on. I'll move on. So when life feels like it's falling apart, we have to sit down and have a good cry. If if you need to, just do it. It's fine. Be honest with your emotions. And secondly, you have to make sure it doesn't start to turn into bitterness. And then that brings us to lesson three. There's a lot of lessons in these three short verses. The next lesson is: encourage yourself in the Lord." Verse six says, "David encouraged himself in the Lord." He made a conscious decision. He made a choice that he was going to look away from the, the bad circumstance, and he was going to look towards God. Now, he wasn't trying to act like the bad circumstance didn't exist. That's how some people, some modern psychologists will tell you to just act like it's not real. Just move beyond. Act like it never existed. Well, it's impossible because we know it does exist, right? So he wasn't acting like the pain wasn't there, the hurt wasn't there, the anger wasn't there. He was just turning away from that particular circumstance and he was, made a choice. I'm going to focus on God and what God can do for me in the midst of this pain and hurt. And, and, and still, some people might say, well, it sounds all nice and good, you know, very easy. But listen, I'm not feeling a lot of encouragement from God right now. And, and I don't even know for sure how to find it. You know, we can get to that point sometimes. Well, here's a couple things you can do, all right? A couple choices you have to make. The first thing you can do is to get yourself around people who love God. A lot of times when we face crisis in life, the first thing some people do, or a lot of people do, is isolate themselves. I don't want to be around anybody. I'm, I'm, just, I'm feeling terrible. You know, this is, this is horrible. I just need to be alone. No, you don't need to be alone. You need to be around people who have faith and strength in God because you're lacking that right now. You need to put yourself around people who love God. Since you're here this morning, that's, that's, you've all made a step in the right direction. If you're going through some tough times, you're surrounding yourself with people who love God, and now the key is keep on doing that. Keep doing it. Get around people who love the Lord as often as you can. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron, and we draw strength and we draw encouragement from each other. And that's, that's kind of the power of life groups on Wednesday nights. You know, right now we're in uh, these three months of summer. We're having summer U classes. Hey, get in one. It'll minister to you. And then be ready come uh, late summer to just transition right into a life group and keep yourself surrounded with people you can draw strength and encouragement from. Amen? Now, I understand that not everyone possesses the gift of encouragement. Even in churches, not everybody's got it. I mean, you might go up to somebody. Maybe you're feeling horrible, and you go up to somebody and say, "Oh man, I just feel so bad." And they say, "Well, what? What's wrong? Where's it hurt?" Oh, I've got this pain right here. And they go, "Oh, my lands, my uncle had that. That dude was dead in thirty days." <laughs> now maybe they mean well. They just don't have possessed the gift of encouragement. What you need to do is just look for somebody with a smile on their face. I'm telling you, people who are walking around with a smile on their face for no good reason are encouragers. You can almost take it to the bank. You talk to a person that just has a happy smile on their face and they will encourage you. Look for people like that. Because not everybody's got it, right? That doesn't mean they're wrong or bad. It's just not everybody's got it. Look for somebody that's got it. And there's tons of people at Calvary Temple that have the gift of encouragement. Now, David also sought encouragement from God by doing what? By talking to Him. Verse 8, it says, Then David asked the Lord, Should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And, will the, and the Lord told him, Yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. So here's another thing I, I've learned in my life. When you're in the middle of a painful circumstances, uh, you're not going to get any good direction out of that bad circumstance. If you keep if you look to the circumstance for direction, if the circumstance is bad, the direction is going to be bad. David looked away from the circumstance circumstance to find direction from God. That's what we have to do. In the midst of crisis, that is the time to be reading his word, to be talking to him and then having time to listen. It's okay to seek counsel from from other people but ultimately you need to go directly to God and listen for that still small voice of his for direction if you don't hear it you're probably doing all the talking and doing very little listening because sometimes I'm sure we've probably all been guilty in the middle of a crisis oh we go to prayer and I mean we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray and we keep praying and we don't give one minute to listen We do all the praying, because a lot of times we're kind of explaining to God how he might best work this whole thing out, because we've got, you know, a better perspective. And so we spend a lot of time in prayer explaining to God how, uh, what exactly he needs to do to make this thing satisfactory to us. Does that ring a bell at all? Like I'm one of the few that's ever done that? It's so ironic because I'm the pastor and you're sitting out there listening to me. I think we've probably all done that from time to time. We've all been guilty of doing a whole lot of praying and very little listening. It's hard to get direction when you're doing all the talking, right? Some of you men that have actually had the guts to stop at a gas station or someplace to ask for directions, Chances are slim you went in to ask for directions and did all the talking and walked out without ever hearing what anybody had to say. That didn't help your problem, did it? You did a lot of talking, you just didn't receive any answers. And sometimes that's kind of how we deal with God. We do all the talking. We have to have time to listen for Him to speak to us. Listen to that still small voice. He still speaks to us and he still gives us direction for hope. He gives us hope in the midst of hurt, hope in the midst of grief and sorrow, hope in the midst of of doubt and uncertainty. He gives us hope in the midst of anger. That's a big one right there. He gives us hope in the midst of fear and and ultimately and most importantly, he gives us hope for eternal life. What, What beats that? What beats eternal life? You know, a lot of people, they don't like to talk about death. Talking about death bothers a lot of people, but it shouldn't. Because the truth is, unless Jesus comes back first, we're all going to die. Who's glad you came to church this morning to be encouraged? That was a great sermon. Preacher said, you're all going to die. But I speak truth. Unless Jesus comes back comes back first, you know what I find to be incredibly short. Let me try that again. What I find to be incredibly short-sighted among a lot of people is that a lot of people spend way more time preparing for their retirement, that's only going to be a few years, compared to preparing for their death, which is going to last for eternity. And when I say prepare for death, I don't mean talking about buying like a prepaid burial plan. That's not what I'm talking about. We prepare for death by making sure we've given our life to Jesus Christ, placing all of our hope in him. Jesus himself said, if we place our hope in him, he is going to give us eternal life. It doesn't get any better than that. And we can't earn it ourselves. We're always going to fall short. We can only receive it as a gift from Him. So, encourage yourself by placing yourself around godly people, spending time talking with God and listening to God in the midst of crisis. Here's the fourth lesson David examples to us. Don't dwell on the past or even the present look to the future. Another, you could say, look past what you've lost and look to what God wants to restore in your life. That's what David is doing. In this particular story, David and his men... They sat down. They had a big, long cry, cried till they couldn't cry anymore. They were fighting bitterness, but they didn't stay there in that place forever, just groveling and moaning and being bitter and sorrowful. At one point, they got up and they took God's direction and they went after their families and they recovered them. But i would If I was a betting man, I'd put it all on the fact that when they initially got up to go recover what had been stolen from them, they weren't completely past all of these feelings of pain and sorrow and anger and bitterness. They probably had not completely conquered that before they decided to follow God's advice. Where people get themselves in trouble is when they depend on circumstances in life to give them hope for life and, I, and it's a very common thing but when, when you do that you are just setting yourself up for a whole bunch of lousy hopeless, helpless days here's why we all, hopefully we all have good and even great experiences and circumstances in life sometimes raise your hand if you've had a great experience in life at some point in your life boy some of you are just sad Nope, never had one. I'm glad most of you have, but how many of you have have noticed that those really good experiences and circumstances in life, they never seem to last quite as long as the really bad, lousy experiences in life. Those seem to last longer, don't they? And the key to turning our hope Alive in life is to keep looking to the future to what God has promised all of us. Don't sit and dwell on what happened in the past. Don't sit and dwell on the present. But look to the future of what God has promised all of us in His Word. And here's the last thing David and his men did to keep things together. They attacked evil head on. If you read... Ahead in the story, it says David and his men attacked and fought the Amalekites from dusk until evening of the next day. So David went out and he attacked that evil that had come upon his family. The number one way to defeat evil in our life is to attack it. But here's the problem in America. The problem is that oftentimes people accept it rather than attack it. And here's what started happening. Uh, you could really almost measure it starting in about 50 years ago. Late, uh, early 60s, 50, 60 years ago. People aren't, usually aren't going to accept all the evil at once. But they'll accept a little bit of it just to get rid of the bulk of it. Does that make any sense? And so about 50, 60 years ago is when it really became, started to become so noticeable that people were willing to accept a little bit of the evil just to keep the, large, the bulk of it away. And then a little time goes by and you're, we're being bombarded with the evil and so we accept a little bit of it to keep the bulk of it away. And where we've got ourselves is we've accepted a whole big bunch of it. And we've got ourselves in a, in a societal mess because of all the junk that we have accepted down through the years. It's begin to steamroll on us. And now we feel like we're getting run over, don't we? That's what happens. The enemies, obviously, the enemies that attack our families today are a lot different than the enemies that David was facing, Right? I think it's safe to say most of us had not, uh, we haven't had to face the problem of people from some other area coming, you know, and burning down our homes and taking our wife and children. If you're experiencing that, you should seriously consider moving. You're in a tough neighborhood. But the common enemies that attack our families today, they're a lot more subtle, but I'm telling you, they are every bit as destructive You know, computers, computers can be a great thing and computers can be a horrible thing. Depending on how you decide to use it. A lot of times people don't attack the problem, they accept a little bit of it. Then they accept a little bit more and pretty soon they've sold out their life to a computer. They've sold out their eternity to a computer. Or television, the things we allow ourselves to watch. You know, we accept a little bit we push the other back and then we accept a little bit. Mom and dad, you need to monitor what the kids are watching on TV. You need to monitor what you're watching on TV. Maybe that's why they're watching what they're watching. The buck stops with you at home. Don't accept a little bit and just think the rest is going to go away and never come back. It's going to come back with a vengeance and now you're going to have to accept just a little bit more. And how many of you know, we all know what I'm talking about here. It's just, you know, we're in a, we're in a, uh, such a mess in society of all the junk we have accepted down through the years. Materialism. We can get so busy, so committed to getting ourselves and our family members everything that everybody wants that we end up sacrificing everything that everyone really needed. There's a big difference between what we want and what we need. God has no problem with us having things we want as long as we have first taken uh, care of getting the things we really need. Does that make sense? Those are just a few examples. You know, we're being attacked from every direction today. The family is being attacked. People being attacked. The real key to victory is to remember that through Jesus, the evil has already been defeated. The cross where Jesus was crucified is where evil was defeated. Sometimes it's easy for people to view the cross as a place where Jesus was defeated, but three days later at the resurrection, he experienced victory. That's not true. The truth is this. Jesus was completely victorious at the cross. When He he became our perfect sacrifice by dying on the cross, He immediately won the battle that He had been sent here to fight. Complete victory was won for us. Now, Satan made a huge mistake. See, Satan hadn't watched many monster movies. And the minute he saw Jesus hanging dead on that cross, he thought it was over and he just turned his back. Well, I'm glad that's all over. The only difference is, in this case, Jesus is the good guy, right? He made a mistake. He thought, he thought at the cross the battle had been lost, but in reality, that is exactly where the battle had been won. Colossians 2.15, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spect- spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Probably the best way to attack evil is with the Word of God. That's exactly what Jesus did when He was let out into the wilderness, tempted by Satan, every time He responded with the Word of God. That becomes the rock, that becomes the anchor in your life. No one's going to lead you astray if you know the truth. That's true in every area of our life, isn't it? No one can lead you astray if you know the truth. The reason scammers are making millions of dollars, calling people on the phone, offering some stupid scam deal, is because they just don't understand the truth. The truth is, these people are con men trying to get my money. If you knew that's who was calling, you wouldn't care what they offered you, you're going to say no, right? But that's not always the case. Apparently, they're very successful or there wouldn't be so many of them. Every week, I've got two or three phone calls, people offering me incredible things. You get those? I mean, crazy sometimes, but incredible things. You have to know the truth. The person on the end of this line is trying to steer me astray. That's how it is with our relationship with God. If we know that we know He is the truth, no one's going to steer us off the path. We're going to hang on to what is true and good and right. When you feel like life is falling apart and you just can't keep it together, just stand on these promises that God has given us. Know that they are true and that they are real and they are going to come to pass. It's not just words you've read in a book for many years. It is absolute truth. You can bet your life on it. Literally. Here's a, great, here's a great verse to memorize, 2 Timothy 4.18. It says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to His heavenly kingdom. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Memorize that one. 2 Timothy 4.18. But we have a choice. We can live our lives being fearful of what might happen to us, or, or, or we can make a choice to know and to believe in our heart that we have already been rescued by the one who loves us more than any being in the universe. We've already been rescued. He's already thrown out the lifeline. It's just right there. All we have to do is grab a hold of it. It's there. those two verses I just read, they contain two very important messages. The one is the message is we are going to be attacked by evil in this world. We've all figured that one out, right? And secondly, we've already been rescued from it. If we just look to God, it's important to know Jesus came down from heaven to earth for one thing and one thing only that was to rescue us to throw us out that lifeline. So what we need to do is just grab a hold of the lifeline and hang on for all it's worth and do not let go no matter how stormy it gets. As long as you hang on to that, you're going to reach safety at some point. You're going to experience victory. It is a promise from God that you can absolutely depend on. Romans 8.37 says, In all these things we have complete victory through Him who loves us. Time after time, God reminds us in his word of how much he loves us. We just need to keep reminding ourselves that we are greatly loved by the most powerful being in existence. You are going to go through difficult times, but I'm telling you, God will always, always bring you through to victory if you just keep hanging on. The minute you let go, deciding, you know what, I think i better be better off handling this myself, that's when you're lost. Just keep hanging on. Amen? You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com. Connect with us on Facebook or call us at 210-657-3578.